What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on a mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. In the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener, and thought leaders to explore what needs to get done. Thank you for being part of this journey and let's build the Trusted Web together. In this episode, a really special guest is joining me. We share a passion for transparency and accountability in news, resulting in a more truthful internet for everyone. If I had to sum up my guest's full resume, I, it would have taken the full episode uh, of this Trusted Web podcast, so I decided to pick some highlights. Steve Brill is a journalist, an author, an entrepreneur, founder of Core TV, the American Lawyer Magazine, American Lawyer Media, Journalism Online, and the Jill Journalism Initiative. Since 2018, he's also the co-CEO of NewsGuard. NewsGuard uses journalism to fight false information, misinformation, and disinformation. They're trained analysts who are uh, experienced uh, journalists, research online news brands to help readers and viewers uh, know which ones are trying to do legitimate journalism and which are not. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks. And um, how would you describe what's the state of fake news today? And what is fake news costing society? Well, fake news costs society the, you know, the most important thing that, that a civil society needs to stay together. And that is uh, the notion that you can trust people and you can trust what you read. Um, the way I like to describe NewsGuard or the, or the need for NewsGuard is that Right now, if you walked into a library, um, assuming libraries were open, um, you'd see books neatly arranged on shelves, uh, you know, according to the topic. You could pick up the book and there'd be a book jacket and you could read something about the author, the author's background, you'd know who the publisher is. And best of all, you'd have a librarian. And the librarian would tell you, this author has a you know, distinguished background in economics, but he tends to look at things from the liberal side or she tends to look at things from the conservative side, but you know what you're getting because you can tell, you know, the different books and magazines, you know, in a library, they're labeled and there's a librarian. Now, what would happen if you walked into a library and instead of all that, there were 3 trillion pieces of paper just flying around in the air and you grab one out of the air, you wouldn't know who wrote it. You wouldn't know who financed it. You wouldn't know what their agenda is. You wouldn't know what their background is. You wouldn't know anything. And that is the experience of looking at a Facebook feed or a Twitter feed or doing a Bing search or a Google search. Um, everything looks the same. And you don't know which stuff you can trust. You don't know which stuff is financed by the drug company that is writing an article about the drug. You don't know anything. So the goal of NewsGuard is to restore order to the internet by giving, not by blocking anything, not by censoring anything, but giving people the basic information about who's behind what they're reading. And uh, you mentioned specifically the internet. One of the phrases we often use is to save the world, we need to fix the internet. 
How important is the internet in misinformation? Well, it's it, it has accelerated misinformation. You know, there was always misinformation during, um, you know, World War II. There was German propaganda uh, that you could hear over the radio, or you know, there was Russian propaganda during the Cold War. You know, there was always, um, you know, phony advertising for, you know, medical cures. What what we in the United States call uh, you know snake oil salesmen, but the internet just multiplies that exponentially by allowing everybody to be a publisher. You know the great thing about the internet is that everybody can be a publisher. The really bad thing about the internet is that everybody can be a publisher. I, yeah, <laughs> I I agree. And one uh, you debunk the misinformation and you do that with human journalists right right the way we do it is by not using artificial intelligence we're we're the we're the opposite of an algorithm um, we have real journalists who review websites and we achieve scale by gauging and and, and reporting on the overall reliability of the website so for example if a very credible site like the bbc you know, publishes an incorrect story, we're not solving that problem. But we are telling people something about the overall trustworthiness and reliability of the BBC, how it's run, how it's financed, who runs it. And we use nine specific journalistic criteria and everybody is judged exactly the same according to those criteria, whether they're on the left or on the right. We have, you know, Uh, websites that are on the right that get a hundred percent score from NewsGuard according to the nine criteria. We have websites that are on the right that get a zero score. Uh, same yeah. thing with the left. And, you know, everything we do is without regard to politics. We've become particularly relevant in a way that has surprised us, and that is with regard to healthcare. Even before COVID-19, we were stunned early on when we launched in, in 2018 to discover that a vast chunk of uh, unreliable, what we would call red rated uh, websites had to do with healthcare. And that's because people were selling, uh, you know, phony cures. Um, there's a whole network of websites that say that if you have cancer, if you buy the fruit pits we're selling you, um, it'll cure your cancer. Or that if you take massive amounts of vitamin C, it'll cure autism or something. So um, now with COVID-19, what you see are, you know, just dozens and hundreds of websites with hoaxes related to, to uh, the virus, and now hoaxes related to the vaccine. And how Does it work? For example, in the investor page on your website, um, you say something about the business model. Is it mostly the companies like Microsoft and Facebook who are buying a service from you? Or well, Facebook's not different? buying it yet. They should. They're in, yeah, I think they should be, you know, the prime customers. Um, we've begun to conclude that their business model is based on uh, not only not rooting out hoaxes, but Um, encouraging hoaxes. But for example, Microsoft has licensed uh, NewsGuard so that if you're using the Edge browser, you will see NewsGuard's red or green icons next to every website 
whether you're on a Facebook feed or a Twitter feed, if you do a Google search or Bing search, if you're looking at Reddit, wherever there's a URL, our little red or green icon uh, will be attached to it. And when you hover over the icon, you can begin to read our uh, nutrition label, which explains explicitly how we applied the nine criteria to that website and why they got the score they got. The scores are between zero and 100 and any website that gets a 60 or above gets a green. Uh, and we provide the score also. So not all greens are created equal and anything that gets below a 60 gets a red. So the goal again is not to block anything, but it's to tell people um, you can pretty generally rely on this source or you can pretty generally not rely on this source. People can get confused. You know, I said before, everything looks the same on the internet. Well, there's a site cancer.org, which is the site in the United States of the American Cancer Society, which has, you know, doctor approved, doctor written, accurate information about, you know, cancer and, and uh, potential cancer cures. And then there's a site that looks just like it called cancer.news, which is a hoax site. And very often, you know, on a Bing search or a Google search, cancer.news will come up before cancer.org. And is it mostly news outlets or is it sites like cancer.org, which you, uh, your journalists check? What we have been able to do, we've been able to achieve scale such that we have, we provide ratings in the US, Germany, Italy, France, and uh, the UK for all the news and information sites responsible for 95% of all the engagement in those countries. So it can be small blogs, it can be major newspapers, websites, um, and everything in between. Uh, so we've had, you know, lots of journalists working at this now for two years. We've rated over 6,000 news and information sites. Yeah, amazing. It's incredible numbers. And we have, um, what we do is timestamping with blockchain technology, bringing transparency and accountability in an open source way. Um, there was a competition by the European Commission, Blockchains for Social Good, and that's, they pra praised the, the initiative to do, yeah, the timestamping as it brings verifiability in an open source way. Right. What do you think of, uh, we're, and we're often talking to search engines. Search engines, partly the transparency and accountability thing, it's strong, strengthens their value proposition as it's, it's um, more transparent. You can better check who's the center of the information. So you could argue that it's a higher quality result, but partly, and especially in social media, the thing is exactly what you said. It, it hurts their business model, transparency and accountability. What must be the role per stakeholder for policymakers, for example, and for social media? Well, you talk about watermarks. One of our criteria is very much like that. One of our nine criteria is does the site, the website, disclose who owns it? And a telltale sign that a site is not reliable, is a hoax, is you can't figure out on the website who owns it, who's responsible for it. So they just want to put this stuff out there. They want to make money from you know programmatic advertising or by selling uh, you know phony products, but they won't tell you who owns it, and who runs it, and who's responsible for it. 
So it's um, that's our version of uh, you know looking for transparency. Now, if you combine that you know with a watermark, so that um, you know we see lots of sites that simply plagiarize stuff from other sites, or worse yet, they plagiarize it but then they twist it around to say something different. Yeah. So you know that's really important. And one of my dreams is if I think of a trusted web is what we mentioned it, it's, uh, it's radically transparent. So you can see who's the owner, who's the center of the information, both the organization or organizations as the people who are writing it. Um, in transparency, what I'd love to see is, for example, in news outlets or government information that you can scroll through the revisions of, for example, news articles. Is that something you find valuable or what's your take on that? Well, I, actually, I have two reactions to that, which is if you're talking about revisions, are you talking about if I draft something and then I go through and redraft it and edit it? Mostly about, hey, um, for example, The Guardian or wherever, the New York Post, you see, last edited three hours ago, that you can click on that and see what was there. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. What uh, One of our criteria has to do with uh, the corrections policy of the website. Does it exactly. have a corrections policy? Do they make corrections? So more important than saying edited, uh, you know, three hours ago, uh, we put a lot of uh, weight on, you know, how transparently you make corrections because that's what makes you accountable. So instead of, you know, you run a story and you realize you got it wrong, you name the wrong person. Yeah. So you just take that person's name out and you put someone else in our uh, what our standard is you have to tell people that you made a mistake and how you made the mistake and then make the correction, not simply you know, change it or take it down. What is the, the key thing that needs to change uh, to fix misinformation, to fix fake news? I think the, uh, the publishers of uh, the platforms of publishers, you know, Facebook is a publisher. It can't say it's not a publisher. It can't say we're just a utility because they have algorithms that push stuff at you. In fact, what, what you'll find is if you, you know, for example, if you go um, on uh, you know, Facebook and join an anti-COVID you know, vaccine group, Facebook will recommend other anti-vaccine groups to you. And they'll send you other content like that. So they are making uh, you know, editorial decisions all the time. And like other editors, whether it's a, you know, a newspaper or a, or a magazine or a website, they ought to be accountable. That doesn't mean that um, they should be told not to publish things or to publish things, but they ought to be accountable in a duty of care way, a standard way, which is to say that if they publish something that's uh, defamatory, they should be held accountable for it. If they tell you by publishing, by, you know, by enabling someone to say, um, you know, drink bleach because that'll cure your COVID and you get sick from drinking bleach, you ought to be able to hold them accountable for that. You know, transparency and accountability are two aspects of the same thing. And that is, you know, being a responsible member of society. And if you're going to have that much power, you ought to be responsible, um, not in a way that, that snuffs out your creativity, but in a way that just makes you a responsible human being. 
can you imagine an internet where all information that matters, so for example, news outlets, or what might go viral in uh, search engines and social media, where only information that has an identity tied to it can go viral? Well, I'm not so sure that that's in all cases a great thing. In other words, if I'm in China right now and I'm witnessing, uh, let's say hypothetically, uh, a COVID-20 virus and it's being covered up and I want to get the word out to the world that my government, whether it's local authorities or the national authorities of you know, the Chinese Communist Party, are, are covering up this new virus. Uh, I'm not so sure that in that case, you and I would agree that that person you know, has to be identified because as soon as they're identified, they're gonna get killed or thrown in jail. So there are limited reasons uh, you know, for anonymity. I guess an analogy would be, um, you know, as a journalist, I don't believe in um, anonymous sources as a rule, but I can understand the exceptions to that rule. Yeah. Your advice to policymakers, to US policymakers and big tech, how, uh, what would be the advice if you can, can decide now, hey, this is what they need to change tomorrow or th this rule must be in place? What would it be? Well, what they don't need is to have uh, you know, government deciding on content or punishing people for content or allowing certain content, not allowing other content, except for obviously you know, illegal content, you know, child pornography or something. You don't want the government in the content business. What you do want is for all publishers, even online publishers like uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter to be responsible for a duty of care. So that's not, you know, the government's not gonna censor anything, but um, I, sh I should be in some way responsible, you know, under the common law for harm that I cause. Now, if I cause that harm accidentally, maybe I'm not held responsible, but you know, the common law has lasted for a long time and, and it's been, and it works pretty well. And in the United States, these platforms were exempt from that by, uh, you know, by what's called uh, you know, section 230. And in the UK and in the European Union, they're now starting to articulate you know, new standards of due care. And I think the United States should do the same thing. And um, if you compare the United States and Europe, what is the case in misinformation? Do you have an idea? What's your idea about that? Well, you, when we started, we thought the US was the, you know, the capital of misinformation and disinformation. But as we've expanded in Europe, um, we've seen that it's pretty widespread and, and I'm embarrassed to say that some, you know, some of the worst from the United States has been, you know, exported into Europe, uh, the QAnon movement being one example. And now um, all the misinformation about um, election fraud in the United States seems to have, uh, you know, seeped over into the countries we cover in Europe too. What's the biggest challenge I had for you as an organization with NewsGuard? Get more, um, uh, more mobile providers, broadband providers, education companies 
to install NewsGuard for their consumers. Yeah, so for example, with ISP, how does that relation work? Do they... They can um, buy a license so that all of their customers can download the NewsGuard browser, uh, the plugin, Yeah, which all of your listeners can download at newsguardtech.com. Yeah, it's a browser so, plugin, right? For uh, Chrome and Firefox and... Yeah, for, you know, for every browser. And it costs consumers $2.95 a month but if an internet service provider does it, they can, you know, they can buy a license for all of their families, obviously for a lot less than that. Um, that's one thing they can do. And that, that is typically part of a discussion in which the next step is at the option of the consumer, they can add it to uh, the parental controls that they now have. Yeah. And the irony is that the internet service providers and uh, the mobile providers are more eager to add NewsGuard than the people who are responsible for the problem, which are Facebook, um, you know, Twitter um, and TikTok. And their view is, well, you know, uh, you know, we didn't create this stuff, but we didn't create, uh, you know, pornography or gambling sites either, but we allow families to protect themselves from this with the parental control devices that we have. So, that's what we're going to do here. Last question, the fake news over the coming five years or and, and in this decade, what will happen? Will it worsen or are we on a way to make it better? Boy, I don't know. I mean, I, I literally don't know. You're talking to me on a day when um, in the United States, the, the most unpredictable thing happened the day before and unpredictable things keep happening. But I do think that that sooner or later, uh, governments and publishers and people themselves are going to figure out a way to just arm themselves with better information about their information sources. Because it's just, it's, you know, whether it's healthcare or politics or the economy or investing, people, I think, are increasingly disgusted with the, the inability to tell what's real and what's not real. And by the end of this decade, do, are you hopeful that we have made steps as a society? Yeah, very much so. I'm uh, looking forward. Thanks so much for being on the show. Leslie, where can people find the important work you do? You told about the browser plugin on NewsGuard. Um, yeah, where can people find you? www.newsguardtech.com. Amazing. Steve, thanks so much for joining uh, the Trusted Web Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Let's build a trusted web. Together. Yay. Thanks so much, Steve. That was Steve Brill, co-CEO of NewsGuard. And the website is newsguardtech.com. And lastly, I'd love to invite you to go to thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. There you will find our report on the state of misinformation because we surveyed thousands of participants across the globe to better understand the impact misinformation has on their lives and how they view the problem. There are incredible findings that surprise us all. And furthermore, you'll find uh, the other episodes and education and use cases for building a trusted web. It's all available there and, of course, for free. TheTrustedWeb.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And let's build the Trusted Web together. Mm -hmm.